0: truth so let's hear these we we'll be called to worship and let's hear these words from our brother the apostle paul he writes these words in colossians chapter 3 and he says if then you have been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Then verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Church, we have so much to be thankful for on this July 4th weekend. We're grateful to be citizens of our nation and yet even far more grateful to be citizens of the eternal kingdom of God and the citizens of heaven, right? So let's stand together. Let's sing together and let's worship. throne. Of
1: Father, we come to you this morning in and through the enthroned Lamb of God, the Lord of life, the Lord of peace, and we confess we can only approach you because of his efficacious and all-sufficient work of substitution. For us and our salvation. And we thank you that you have in your son sent the spirit. Who proceeds from you, Lord. Through the son to us to apply. This glorious. Work of substitution to our persons, to our affections to our wills, to our minds. And Father, on this July 4th weekend, which is a time set aside to remember and to revel in the freedoms we enjoy for those of us who are citizens of the United States. We thank you for our country. As broken as she is, And for the privileges that we still enjoy, benefits we don't take for granted. Especially considering how much of the world is under siege and under the foot of tyrannical leadership. We thank you for the countless men and women who have paid high prices that we may enjoy these freedoms we pray for those who hate our country who live here enjoying its privileges that you would bring repentance that you would save them in your son Jesus and if they do not repent that you would bring them underneath the feet of Jesus Lord the gratitude that we feel for our citizenship in the United States As Barry said earlier, pales in comparison with the joy generated by our citizenship in heaven. We praise you today, Lord, for making us members of the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation. God's special possession, as Peter describes it. And Lord, we confess this is our true and lasting identity. This is our consummate and eternal liberty. Lord, to be set free by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to be free indeed. Thank you for setting us free from the guilt of our sin by Jesus taking our place on the cross. There is now and never will be any condemnation left for our disobedience and our rebellion and our idolatry. Lord, we praise you for freedom from the power of sin. For you have broken its dominion in our lives. Lord, never again will it be our master. We praise you for freedom from the fear of death. For you removed its sting and robbed the grave of its victory in the resurrection of your son. And we praise you for the freedom, Lord, to come boldly to the throne room of grace in corporate worship. For Jesus has secured the new and living way for us. And we say corporately this morning, hallelujah, what a Savior. Lord, we pray as we continue in our worship this morning through song, through prayer, through preaching, through hearing the word, through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We pray that we could reflect more by your spirit on the ultimate freedom that can never be taken away. By pagan and godless ideologies. We pray that we could behold your son today anew. We ask this for the sake of your son. For the edification of your people. And for the salvation and conversion of those who do not yet know Jesus as Savior. Amen.
0: Church, let's stand together and sing. Psalm 84 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Let's stand and sing together.
2: Better is one day. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Than thousands elsewhere. Than thousands elsewhere.
0: thing I ask. The one
2: thing I ask. And I would see. To see your beauty. To find you in the place your glory dwells. Better is one day. Better is one day in your home. Better is one day in Your house. Better is one day in Your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in Your courts. Better is one day in Your house. Better is one day in Your courts, than thousands elsewhere. My heart and flesh cry out. My heart and flesh cry out to You, the Living God your spirit's water to my soul i've tasted and i've seen come once again to me i will draw near to you i will draw near to you
0: Just lift us up. Sing, better is one day. Better is one day in your house
2: Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. A thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. The better is one day in your courts. A thousands elsewhere. A thousand.
0: Church, our brother Paul writes these words. That the words of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's just read that again. Listen to those verses. Listen to what Paul says. How does the word richly dwell within us? One of the ways. We teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What we sing matters, right? It teaches us. It's, a, it's truth set to melody. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then he says in verse 17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. through him, to God the Father Church. We, above all people on this planet, and in this country, and in this city, and in Fisherville, have so much to be thankful for. And it is right, it is wise, it is good to come together week after week to remember, to draw our hearts and our minds back to the cross, to realign our focus, to hear God's word sung and preach to be encouraged by one another as we sing to one another let's continue to worship this morning
2: alas and did my savior bleed And did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head For sinners such as I? At the cross, the cross, I saw the light. My sins were taken away. There by faith receive my sight to see my Savior.
0: right response to what Christ accomplished, not merely made possible, but accomplished on the cross, is a life of worship and a life of loving response as his people, right? So let's sing this old hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Join me. My Jesus,
2: I love Thee,
3: I know. for thee.
0: As we sang, we love you because you first loved us. In the darkness of our sin, in the fallenness of our state in Adam, we never would have been able to look up and to see the glory of Christ and want it. And yet in your mercy, you have awakened by the power of regeneration dead hearts given us the gifts of faith and repentance and turned our eyes towards Jesus, to whom we confess our sin and our allegiance, our faith and our love. And yet we are bound right now in this tension between what is coming and yet what is present. We wrestle with sin, and yet as we sang, you've purchased our pardon." And there is no condemnation for those who were in Christ. And so with eyes back towards the accomplished work of the cross, living in the power of the Spirit now, putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, we look to those mansions in glory and endless delight. The new Jerusalem, the place where you dwell, and all those who have gone on before us, await for us, the great cloud of witnesses. And so in the meantime, Help us, cause us by the power of your spirit through the word, even now, to turn our eyes once again towards Christ, to confess, to repent, to believe, not for salvation again, because once we are yours, we are yours, but to remind ourselves over and again where our true north is. And that's what Sunday does. And so thanks be to God. And so, Father, help us to fix our eyes on Christ, to live lives of worship, love, and obedience to Christ out of joy. And so, fill us now. Incline our hearts to your word. Speak now. Your children are listening. Do what only you can do as your word is preached. Fill our brother with your spirit May his words be yours, and may we have eyes that are open, hearts that are hungry. And we ask these things for the glory of God through Christ and by your spirit. Amen.
1: Thanks, Barry. Worship team, good morning, everyone. Happy July 4th weekend. You know, I've often said that I think Aristotle was the one who first said that you want to know what wet is, you don't ask a fish. That's all they know. And we have always known our freedoms and liberties, and we're seeing them now being attacked. And so it's a time where we can truly cherish what we've had. And and so this weekend is particularly meaningful, I know, for all of us as we. Reflect on God's goodness to us. Well, if you would turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel 15, where we'll begin in chapter 15, verse 13. We'll complete our chapter today. For 2 Samuel chapter 15, last week we saw Absalom's coup at the beginning of it. And today we will see David's response. Let's ask the Lord to give us tender hearts, eyes to see, ears to hear. Father of mercy, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we have a true word, a narrative that in the end will stand where all other rival narratives will not. We pray, Lord, that we would by your spirit embed our stories into this story today, that we might live with a God story mentality. We pray that you would give us ears to hear today. We need that. Our minds are so easily drawn away by other concerns because of the noetic effects of sin Lord we pray that you would keep our minds attuned and Lord we pray that we could respond faithfully in the obedience of faith and we ask this in Jesus name Amen on a rainy night September the 13th 1814 British warships rained down shells and rockets Onto Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor, and that would last for 25 hours. The Battle of Baltimore came just weeks after the British had attacked Washington, D.C., burning the Capitol, the Treasury, and even the White House. It was another chapter of the ongoing saga known as the War of 1812. Now, a week earlier, a 35 year old lawyer named Francis Scott Key had aborted a British ship on Chesapeake Bay. He went there to persuade them to set his friend free from incarceration. Now, he, he was successful, but the British knew that Key and his friend had learned about their plan to attack Baltimore, and so they kept them on board. And under their scrutiny, Francis Scott Key and his friend watched the violent assault on Fort McHenry. He was very worried about what was going to happen from that. He was very unsure of the outcome. He dreaded to see the United Kingdom flag flying over the fort. Instead, the rocket's red glare... The bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that the flag was still there, announcing a U.S. victory. Now, we've heard that song so many times, and we love that song. We esteem that song as those who have benefited so greatly from the freedoms and liberties secured by our forefathers. But it's easy to miss the significance, because we've heard it so often, of that line. It it was actually the enemy bombs that lit up the night sky on a rainy night. So that Key could see the American flag and so confirm to him that the United States still reigned. In a real sense, that would have been the people of God's experience since David has been anointed as king. All kinds of conflicts. The king, Saul, seeking to pursue and kill David for years, a decade or so. And then when David becomes king, there's an insurrection. He's been bombarded with attempts on his life. and. He himself has sinned grievously as an adulterer and a murderer and has proven himself to be less than a model father. But through it all, these metaphorical bombs that continue to burst in the air at the kingdom of God gives proof, ironically, that the kingdom of God is still there. It still rains. Indeed, who else could have sustained the kingdom with all of these conflicts from within and from without were God not there and present and reigning? And currently, with the blow of the trumpet, Absalom's trumpet, there is an official full-blown coup from David's own flesh and blood son. Now, David wouldn't hear the trumpet. But it would be reported to him. And we begin to see that in verse 13 as we read essentially one point in this passage, David's exile from Jerusalem. Look with me in verse 13. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Now, there have been a lot of low points since chapter 11 with David's tryst with Bathsheba. Sin always complicates your life. That truth is undefeated. And there have been so many pains and heartaches, and this is no exception. Not only has his son betrayed him, so have many in Israel the question is what will David do well notice in verse 14 then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword well, we know there perhaps is no more courageous person in Israel's history than David. David is not ruled by carnal fear here. He had two concerns in this situation. First of all, he wanted to save his family. And he knew there would be collateral damage if he didn't get out of town. Secondly, he wanted to save the people of his of the city. He wanted to save the people of God. He wanted to save the holy city. Especially when you consider the sword with which Absalom now threatened to strike was the very sword that the Lord warned would never depart from David's house. Remember after he sinned his sins were forgiven through the blood of the sacrifice pointing us to Jesus. But there are consequences even with forgiveness of sin. And in chapter 12, verse 10, here's what the Lord had said. The sword shall not depart because you have despised me, David, having taken Bathsheba and having killed Uriah, her husband. In other words, David knew that the chaos that he is now experiencing was both the work ...of his wicked son Absalom, but also the righteousness of God. God is righteous, and he is faithful to his promises, and he is just to penalize sin. That's certainly a picture of the cross, because at the cross, Acts 2.23... ...you see the culprits who nailed Jesus to the cross, and yet it says, according to the foreordination of God himself... David's fleeing Jerusalem here, though, is highly significant. Very important. Because here's the question. What's to become of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is expressed through David. What's to become of David? It appears that all is lost. If we had 24-hour news at that time, if they had had the kind of exposure to things in the world that we have, they would have said, like we are saying today often things seem all but lost and it feels that way doesn't it but there were two evidences that all was not lost the first evidence was this the people of God still had the promises of God what were the promises of God well it centered on the fact that God would provide a son from David And his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. There would be no coup that could thwart God's purposes and his promises. They still had the promises in spite of what they were seeing on the news. And the second evidence is the kingdom of God still had a people. Notice in verse 15. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, Your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. Now that's beautiful. We will do whatever you call us to do. We are under your kingship. They are under the kingship of the Messiah. Here is a people. The kingdom of God. The flag is still standing in spite of the bomb. All right? And this had to be a real means of grace for David. Because to be betrayed is one of the most painful experiences on the planet. I would venture to say the majority, if not all of you, have had that experience at some point. And yet the Lord, in the midst of that, has a way of encouraging his people. But again, this is bigger than that. This, the fact that there's a people here willing and desiring to follow David come what may signals that the flag is still there. The flag of God's kingdom expressed through the Davidic son. And this is what it means to live under the king. Again, notice verse 15. Your servants are ready to do whatever my Lord the King decides. We should all ask the Holy Spirit to give us the faith and the obedience to be able to say that to our King, to our Messiah. Come what may. Notice in verse 16. So the king went out, and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house we've for those of you that are perhaps new with us the Bible does not advocate this kind of polygamy in harems all this signals to us is this is not the true and ultimate king because when the true king comes there will only be one bride and he will be faithful to that one bride the fact that David had ten concubines reminds us that the best of men are men at best and The king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. Kind of like a regret, painful regret, reflecting on what was being lost. Verse 18, and all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, And all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath. A Gittite is someone from Gath. Gath was one of the five major cities of the Philistines. These are Philistine converts. And they passed on before the king. So this is, at the same time, sad and tragic But it has moments of beauty and glory in it. Starting here, David is going to have five encounters on his exodus out, on his exile. Three we're going to see today. Two of them we're going to see next week in chapter 16. And the first is with a group led by Ittai the Gittite. These are the faithful. These are the faithful followers of the true king, Those who in the worst of times, and these are the worst of times, follow their king. Now we heard about the Cherethites and the Pelethites in chapter 8, verse 18. That was incidentally our our first Sunday that we, we, we watched on Facebook. They were foreigners, faithful foreigners, who made up David's bodyguard. And these professional soldiers are supported by 600 Gittites who are from Gath, who likely joined David during his 16 months when he was running from Saul and he fled to the land of the Philistines. Now, again, we cannot read the Old Testament without considering where it's headed, the trajectory, and the promises. 300 years later, Isaiah will speak of a day when all the nations shall flow to Mount Zion. Isaiah 2. And this is an anticipation of that. These are faithful Gentiles following the Davidic king, come what may. And starting here in verse 18, this is very important. We're going to see a word that will be variously translated as passed on or, or cross over. I want you to be aware of that that word. We're going to see it nine times. All right? Now, why is that important? It's the same verb that occurs 22 times in Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 as God's people are crossing over the Jordan River into the land of promise. So why is that significant? This is kind of an undoing. This is a reversal of that. That shows you how tragic this is. This is a reversal of what we see in Joshua as God's people go into the land of promise. But all is not lost. Again, the king and the people, they still have the promises of God. We live promise-driven lives, right? Right? That's what we do. That's the Christian life. We live promise-driven lives, and so did they. And so the king still has the promises of God, and he still has a faithful people. Amen? Just like we have. As we watch the news, we have promises. And we have the church that reminds us that the flag is still standing. And on another front here, God... As he does with his spiritual leaders, will send people to encourage them. And he does that. I have 10 years of testimony of that here at Fisherville. Notice in verse 19. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? On paper it made no sense. Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. I don't know if he's using figurative language there just to say it, it was a just recent. It was so recent you could call it yesterday, or if it was literally yesterday. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wonder about with us since I go? No. I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show Hesed. May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Now it's strange that David uses the word king for Absalom. David's the king. Absalom's a, a counterfeit. So what is he doing? I think he's doing the way what Jesus would often do with, with those who... Profess to follow him. He's testing Ittai. He's testing him. Notice in verse 21, though. But Ittai, Nittai has come to be one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. You probably haven't met anyone named Ittai. And that's a shame. The next child we give birth to, I'm going to name him Ittai. If it's a boy. But Ittai answered the king. As the Lord lives. And as my Lord the king lives. Wherever my Lord the king shall be. Whether for death. Or for life. There also. Will your servant be. That's beautiful. That is the confession of a true believer. Everything else is fool's gold. This is a believer. This is one who is trusting the Lord and his reign as expressed through the Davidic king. David's followers were ready to obey him in verse 15. And here... They're ready to die for him. And in a response which echoes the Gentile lady Ruth and her pledge to Naomi, the Gentile Ittai pledges unconditional commitment to the king. These are the kind of pledges we need to reflect on as our culture becomes increasingly secularized alright now the Lord can bring an awakening he's done it before and that's what we pray for alright but if the culture continues on to a trajectory that it's on which is pagan and carnal and godless and wicked and antichrist we need to be reflecting on commitments like this commitment from Ittai Dale Ralph Davis said Ittai is an island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. As we observe our culture, we could almost describe our culture right now as a sea of treachery. And may we, the people of God, those who are followers of a greater son of David, be those like Ittai who are an island of fidelity. And every spiritual leader has some idea of what this would have felt like. To have those stand by your side when others turn. And crises have a way of revealing who your real friends are. Well, notice in verse 22. And David said to Itai, go then. Pass on. Come with me, in other words. So, it the Gittite, passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. Again, that is the verb that was used in Joshua 3 and 4 to refer to the passing over the Jordan into their inheritance. And now they are passing on outside of the city of promise and the king this is so important here crossed the brook Kidron don't forget that phrase the king crossed the brook Kidron we will see it again in a few minutes and all the people passed on Toward the wilderness. So the brook Kidron marked a boundary on the east side of Jerusalem. But equally important is the words here towards the wilderness. What does that remind you of? It reminds us of Israel's time in the wilderness. This is an undoing Of what God has accomplished for his people, all right, as they made their way into the land. This is horrific. This is tragic. We've been living in that day, we would have been astounded, floored, and grieved and terrified. But again, note the support. In Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites. The priests. The priests are following David. Bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had passed out of the city. Now we've seen that the ark of God represented... The covenantal presence of God. That God is revealing God. That he is a resourcing God. That jar of manna reflected that. He's also a reconciling God. That's where atonement was made. Over the, the mercy seat. On the ark. But this is another sad reminder of the fallout of this coup. The ark which represented all of those things. Is now leaving Jerusalem. The city of peace. Verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok. Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord. He will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says. This is remarkable here. If he says I have no pleasure in you. Behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. First of all, it appears that they were wanting to bring the ark out like they did in 1 Samuel 4, 3 in battle against the Philistines, thinking that they could use it like a a rabbit's foot, like a lucky charm. And we saw the fallout of that, the effects of that. God will not be used. He will be worshipped, but he will not be used. He is not the means to an end. He is the end. And David's not going to do that. He's not going to treat the ark that way. He says, take the ark back into Jerusalem. And aware of his own sin, David is open to the possibility that it just may be the Lord's intention to replace him as king. Indeed, the promise was made to a son of David, right? So if so, and I love this, it's so important for us, he accepts that and whatever flows from that, whatever God's will is. And how freeing is that to be able to trust the Lord like David here? I mean, that is freeing. If the Lord wants to take everything away from me, that's his prerogative. I trust him. I trust his wisdom. I trust his goodness. I trust him. He has never betrayed me. He has never let me down. And with this faith, David does not bear the weight of what will happen. He's letting the Lord bear that weight. This is remarkable faith. Oh, that we could get there by faith. Lord, whatever you do, I'm going to trust you. Notice in verse 27. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. And so they have their two sons with them as well. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So David has remarkable trust in the Lord, but that does not lead to passivity, all right? There are some people who are so, they confess such faith in the sovereignty of God, it makes them passive, all right? David's not like that. He's what I would call a compatibilist. What is a compatibilist? A, a, A compatibilist is someone who believes that God is sovereign in all things. There's nothing outside of God's sovereign exercise. And yet we are responsible agents. And God's sovereignty and our responsibility are compatible with each other Although in our finitude and our fallibility, we will never fully understand that mysterious relationship. We just know both truths are true. God is sovereign, and so God will do with David what he wills, and David is responsible. And so we see that here. And so the plan for David depended on these four, these four priests being in Jerusalem and providing intelligence. To David. Well, notice in verse 29, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. So he's passed over the brook of Kidron. He went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot, with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads. They went up weeping as they went. This is exile. This is the exile of the king. And it can't can't help but remind us of an earlier exile of another king, Adam. Adam had been exiled out of God's land. Because of his sin. And it can't help but remind us of what's going to be with Israel in a few years. When they sin and are cast out of the land. This is exile. David embodies the very hopes of Adam. And the very hopes of Israel. This is tragic. And just when David could not imagine... Things could get darker, they do. Notice in verse 31. And it was told David, Ahithophel, we were introduced to Ahithophel last week, is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Besides the fact that Ahithophel was highly respected, we saw last week, chapter 16, verse 23. We'll look at it next week. The counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. Besides the fact that he was highly respected, he was David's close confidant. This is a betrayal of a close friend. He's already lost his, his son. And now... He just learned that one of his closest counselors has turned on him. Psalm 41 was written on this occasion. And in Psalm 41, David writes, All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. Verse 9, Even my close friend... In whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. There David is referring to Ahithophel. This is devastating. For believers, the most unexpected evil is betrayal from within the covenant community. I would venture to say that it has happened in every church in church history because this is one of the evil ones, methodias schemes, methods. But we must remember that our savior was betrayed by one of the twelve. We must remember the apostles were betrayed. Think about David. In the maritime prison in 2 Timothy, when he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. A certain man named Bishop Horn, I don't know who he is. There's a few uh, horns in church history. But I came across this quote, and I thought it was useful here. The sufferings of the church, he says, like those of her Redeemer generally begin at home. Think about that. They don't begin with Marxist revolutions. They begin at home. We can be so concerned about Marxist revolutions and the, the wickedness of that, but it begins at home. Her open many enemies can do her no harm until her pretended friends have delivered her into their hands. And unnatural as it may seem, they who have waxed fat upon her bounty are sometimes the first to lift the heel against her. Sobering words. What will David do? Well, as we have seen patterned with David time and time again, When he is hit with a blow, he prays. Psalm 109, he he speaks about those who've turned on him. He says, but I, verse 4, give myself to prayer. That's what he does here. And he didn't have to wait long. Some prayers, you may wait decades. Some prayers, God answers immediately. Generally, it's not... Immediate because God is wanting to do something in you in the waiting. But sometimes he answers immediately just to drive home the fact that he is present and he hears your prayers. All right? This is one of those immediate answers to prayer. Verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. Hushai will be the answer to this prayer. We'll learn that next time. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. Not the kindest words. But this is the third party that David encounters, and David, as we're going to see, trusts him. Hushai is a true friend of David. You can say, blunt things to your friends. And David said you're going to be a burden with me if you go with me. It was likely due to the fact that Hushai was old. He was probably 60, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or maybe he was in poor health. For some reason, he was would have been a burden in the journey. But David plans to use him in a different way. This brings us to the end of this passage. Verse 34, if you return to the city, and he trusts Hushai for him to do this, and you say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in the past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Remember, he prayed that. He said, Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And now he sees that Hushai is going to be the one who does that. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, so he would be in the king's house, and Zadok and Abiathar would be in the temple, so they wouldn't be around the king. So he needed someone there present with the king. He says, what you hear, the intel you hear, you tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz and Zadok's, Zadok's son and Jonathan Abiathar's son and by them you shall send to me everything you hear so David has a plan so this man Hushai will be in the palace he'll hear the intel and then he will pass it on to the priest who and then in turn would pass it on to David So Hushai, David's friend that's key because sometimes we're going to see next week there's a fellow named Zeba. We don't know if we can trust him or not. But this is David's friend. Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. In time, we're going to learn the Lord turns Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness Through the intervention of Hushai. And Hushai did not blink in embracing this dangerous mission. Because he was a friend of the king. That's the mark of friendship to the king. Jonathan and I met with a missionary couple this week. Who came to thank Fisherville. For the Lottie Moon offering. They took note, they heard, I think Barry told them, about the $60,000 offering to Lottie Moon. And they came to thank us. And they're in a closed country in the 1040 window where it is illegal to be a Christian. And it is hard. What they're doing is hard. They've been there eight years in the, in the missionary said to me, you know how many people I've baptized? I said, how many? He pointed at his son. He's the only one I've baptized. But why are they there? They're friends of the king. That's why they're there. And they trust the gospel will not return void. That's Hushai here. He didn't blink. And so for all the darkness... Of this text, there are hints of light. In fact, you can't even see the light without the darkness. Last night I was walking and praying as I do on Saturday night, and all of a sudden fireworks started exploding everywhere around me. And the reason they waited till dark is you can't see the fireworks until it's dark. We see, we see the light of God's grace and mercy. In the context of the darkness of this passage, yes, David is suffering for his sins, but he is nonetheless the rightful king. God anointed him to be the king, but this rightful king has been rejected by his own, and he ascends the Mount of Olives, grieving as he goes, and that's not good news for anyone the king the king has passed over the kidron the brook of kidron he's in the wilderness and there's nothing good about that except for a prayer except for an inspired prayer he prayed on the way psalm 3 psalm 3 was written on this very occasion Don't overlook the superscriptions in the Psalms. They're a part of the text. And in Psalm 3, here's what it says. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord. Are sealed about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. And he answered, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Of course, there would be an immediate answer to that prayer. We've already seen partial answers to that, but there would be a greater answer. That would come a thousand years later. He answered me from his holy hill. Sometimes God answers a prayer immediately. Sometimes you have to wait. This scene, this very scene, in fact, would be repeated a thousand years later with a better son of David than Absalom. Indeed. Indeed. The only reference to the brook Kidron that David crossed over as he went into the wilderness is in John 18, verse 1. After Jesus had spoken to his friends, that's the language he uses in John 14 to 16, he says, My friends are those who do what I command. John 15, verse 14. You think he was thinking about these friends of David? I think he was. And after his priestly prayer, it says he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. Where there was a garden. That is a direct reference to our passage. The greater son of David recapitulated the path of David as he likewise was rejected by his own he retraced David's steps as he took the path of humiliation that concluded at the base of the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, on his way to the cross. Like David, Jesus would go into exile to save his family. To save his people. That's why David left. But unlike David. Whose self-imposed exile was necessitated by his own sin. The greater son's exile. Which culminated in the cross. Was necessitated by our sin. By his people's sin. And like David, the greater son was betrayed. In fact, Jesus applied these very words that David wrote on this occasion to Judas. John 13, 18. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't fulfilled when David wrote it. Because David was a type. David was a shadow pointing us to something else. The scripture will be fulfilled He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Indeed, Jesus crossed the Kidron for us. And he approached the Mount of Olives, not as a fallout of his sin, but to die for our sins. And now committed to this king, like Ittai, the Hittite. We can say with David, Psalm 3, salvation. Salvation. Belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salvation from judgment. Salvation from our Absalom-like behavior. And ironically, it's the bombs of the murderous hatred culminating in the cross, but also a resurrection from the dead that allows us to see that God still reigns. The resurrection in the midst of the darkness is the flag hanging, reminding us that God still reigns. The kingdom of God is established. The flag is flying. It will never fall, but it is opposed. And our part is to trust the promise and obey the king, come what may. And one of the great means towards that end is the table. For those of you that are visiting with us, we we invite you to the table upon a couple of conditions. You have been born again. You trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He's Messiah. He's your King. You're a member in good standing of a church that believes that. We invite you to the table. Let's bow our heads Ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to take these elements rightly as reflect on the fact that the kingdom of God is still here and the king is still reigning and he will reign until he returns again. Let's pray.